This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello, and welcome to My Tale to Tell, bringing you life stories from the varied and diverse people who live in Canterbury, New Zealand. All of these stories are read by those who wrote them as part of a Writing Your Memoir workshop, and they have kindly agreed to share them with you. For privacy reasons, some of the names have been changed. Some language may offend, and some content may shock you. But no life is ordinary. We all have a tale to tell. My name is Jean, and this is my tale to tell. Who am I? I was baptised Jean Elizabeth Margaret Lazelle on October 1st, 1950, at the age of four weeks. Nobody realised then what a nuisance it would be having three Christian names. Firstly, I had a struggle to learn to spell them all. Jean was the easy one. Then, when I had to fill in official forms, the lines for first names were never long enough and I had to decide which one to leave out. Did this mean that the form was invalid or, worse still, unlawful? Jean is a Scottish name, short, no nonsense, and unable to be shortened. Definitely not the name of royalty or a famous person. I was born into post-war Britain, where rationing was still widespread and people had forgotten what normal life could be like. The name reflects the darkness of that time and perhaps the state of my mother's mind. It means child of God, which was appropriate as my Christian faith has been a large part of my life. Elizabeth was included because I was born on my maternal grandmother's 50th birthday. Thank goodness I was spared Daisy, her other name. It wouldn't have suited me at all. I was a stolid child, overweight and very short-sighted, so not someone who reminded you of a flower even such a humble one. Margaret, a pearl. Who knows where that came from? Since my grandfather had been one of 13 children and my father one of seven, I suppose there weren't many names left. And so to Lazelle, my surname for the first 22 years of my life. We were always told it was a corruption of Lascelles, a French name associated with the Earls of Harewood, probably on the wrong side of the blanket. Further research has shown that the name was assumed in the 16th century. The original name was Cohen. All I knew was that we always had to spell it out to people, especially once we came to New Zealand. At the age of 22, I became Jean Elizabeth Margaret Schoen, Gems, 
and I still had to spell out my surname. It suffers many mispronunciation, but retains its Scottish origins. The family was from Elgin, not far from Aberdeen, and my husband's great-grandfather owned a drapery in that town. The shop is still there, as is one of the family houses, but a fire in the shop and the owner's subsequent ill health saw the family fortunes decline. Neil's grandfather, the black sheep of the family, left home for South Africa, then Australia, and finally New Zealand, where he settled in Wanganui. There are many tales of his life. Forty-eight years later, I am proud to be Jean Elizabeth Margaret Schuen, although I still have to spell out my surname. So picking the name for my personalised car plate was easy. Jim's one. My name is Sandra, and this is my tale to tell. Letter to Linda. You wouldn't believe it. Dear Linda, welcome from warm and sunny Cairns. We're looking forward to our little holiday here. I hope you are all well. My work trip to East New Britain in PNG went so well, and we enjoyed our sightseeing afterwards. I'll tell you more about it and show you our pictures when we get home. What I really want to tell you about in this letter was our journey from the university to where we are now in Cairns. It's a rather long and complicated story. It all started when the university driver took us down from the university in Caravet to Tokiwa Airport just east of Kokopo. We got our bags out of the back of the four-wheel drive. I shook the driver's hand, thanked him and said goodbye. He said, I'll just stay here with you until you get your boarding pass. I thought that was a bit strange, but I said, OK. We went to the check-in line for our flight, and I must say, the other passengers had a lot of luggage. They had bags and cartons and goodness knows what. We eventually got to the counter where they checked us in, but they said, We can't give you your seat number yet because the system is down. Your plane is coming across from Booker in Bougainville, but we'll find you and give you your boarding passes and seat numbers once the plane is in the air. I wondered what the plane being in the air had to do with seat numbers, but I just said, OK. 
I went back to the driver and he said, I'll wait. After about 20 minutes, a woman in an Air New Guinea uniform came over to us and said, here are your boarding passes. The seat numbers were written on them in biro. I told the driver, he shook my hand and said, I'll go now. The plane flew in and we started to board. When we got on, people were in our seats. I told the stewardess and she just looked round the plane and said, there are some seats up the back, take those. So we did. By the time we boarded, there were a lot of people already on and they had a lot of luggage and more people kept getting on with more luggage. When we were all seated, I said to Dick, I'm a bit worried about this. There are some really big people from Booker and there is a lot of luggage and I think we're overloaded. Just then, the pilot stuck his head in the cabin and said, we're overloaded, so we're going to take off half the luggage and send it on the afternoon flight up to Ley. They'll put it on the Port Moresby flight and it will be over there by 6pm. You can pick it up from the domestic terminal then. I turned to Dick and said, but our flight to Cairns leaves from Port Moresby at 6.20 and that's from the international terminal. The plane took off, we got to Port Moresby and sure enough, half our luggage was there and half wasn't. I told my story to the Air New Guinea woman at the baggage carousel and she said, go over to Lost Property and fill in the form, they'll look after it. So we did. I repeated the story at Lost Property and they said, don't worry, just fill in this form. If your luggage gets down here before your flight to Cairns, we'll put it on the plane. If it doesn't, we'll send it down to you in New Zealand. When we were out of earshot, I said to Dick, well, that's the last we'll see of our luggage. We then went across to the international terminal to check in for our Cairns flight. When we got to the head of the queue, the official said, I'm really sorry, but your flight has been cancelled. Go across to the hotel desk and get a voucher for a hotel in Port Moresby for the night. We were ecstatic. I said to Dick, this will give us a chance to get the rest of our luggage. Just as we got to the hotel desk, we were called back, and the same official, now with a great big smile, said, your flight is back on. Our hearts dropped, but we checked in what luggage we had, got our boarding passes, and made our way to immigration. We got in line to go through immigration, but someone came up to us and said, I'm sorry, but the immigration person went home when your flight was cancelled, so you won't be able to leave. But after another half hour, someone ran up to the immigration desk and said with a big smile, sorry for the confusion, I'll get you all through right now. He quickly gathered up all our departure forms and waved us through to the departure lounge. We sat there waiting to board and then the immigration person came rushing over and said, we forgot to stamp your passports, just hand them to me and we'll get them back to you before your flight goes. So we did. Finally, our flight was called. At the flight desk, there were all our passports, neatly lined up, in piles, by nationality. The steward checking us on said, just grab your passport as you board, which we did. We got onto the plane and into our assigned seats this time, and the crew started the pre-departure checks. I turned to Dick and said, well, that's goodbye to our luggage. We'll just have to buy some more clothes in cans and then put in an insurance claim when we get home to New Zealand. 
Just then, a cheerful-looking man stuck his head through the door and asked, Those passengers who flew in from Tokyo this morning? Our hands shot up, along with those of a family of three. We've just loaded your luggage on board, and here are your luggage tags. Just sort out whose bags are who when you get to Cairns. And he handed me five luggage labels. And you wouldn't believe it, but we got to Cairns on time and with all our luggage. See you soon. Love, Mum and Dad. My name is Brenda Knight and this is my tale to tell. Turning points. I love turning points. I love how the impact of one thing, one place, one person or one moment can completely change our lives within a split second and send us in a totally different direction. Yes, I know some of those are regarded as negative and others are regarded as positive. But overall, I believe that all of these things are totally necessary for our highest and greatest good if we are to evolve not only as individuals, but together as humanity in this big, crazy world. You see, I'm a farm girl at heart, as I was being brought up in the 1970s and 80s in a small rural town called Levin. I lived a pretty basic life with my mum, dad and three brothers. When I wasn't at school playing sport, I would be cooking, cleaning, milking cows in the morning and at night, helping with the general farm work, as well as working in a local market garden during the day. So I hardly had any downtime compared to my townie mates, however I was happy with that. I soon learned quickly that as long as I passed at school with C plus or higher, my parents basically left me alone as they didn't really have any expectations of me academically. As being good at sports, being a hard worker and super practical, regarded as the signs of achieving high success within our family. So it all came as a complete surprise when at the end of my seventh form year, which was the final year of high school, when my doctor, Dr Jago, asked me, what was I going to do at the end of high school? I said, I don't know, but what I do know is that I don't want to work. In my mind, I knew that I'd already done more than enough for my age. I knew that I just didn't want any job and that really I had to get away from what I considered back then as a small town life. He said then, well, what do you really want to do? I said, I don't know. He said, well, what would you do if you could do anything in the world without having to worry about money or qualifications or anything? What would you do? I said, oh, that would be easy. I'd be a PE teacher, but I'm not bright enough for that. You have to be a geek. Anyway, I spent too much time in detention to be able to do anything like that. He said, OK, I want you to go and find out what you need to do to be a PE teacher and then come back and tell me once you've done it. So I did. I did just that. I called all the universities and found out that if I could do my first year, which was a science year at any university, which I subsequently did at Massey, and then I could complete the remaining three years of my Bachelor of Physical Education at Otago University, 
which I also achieved. Looking back now, I am so, so grateful for Dr Jago and what he did for me. Not only did he question me, but he also told me my next best step, which I would have never, ever had the thought of or the faith to do. I hate to think what would have happened had I stayed in Levin, because seriously, I think I would have ended up married, divorced and hitting my kids back then if I had any. Purely out of frustration, anger and boredom, because I wouldn't have known deep down in my heart that I wouldn't have been living in the place and the lifestyle that was best suited for me. Furthermore, back then, I just didn't know how to get out. The other significant thing about this turning point is that as a result of going to university, I met my husband-to-be within three days of being there. To the point, I actually said to my newly found flatmates that I've just met the kind of guy that I would marry However, I'm never getting married because I was such a staunch feminist back then. From then on, Dougal and I were best of mates and have been ever since. I never ended up being that PE teacher. However, as a result of getting our degrees, my husband and I ended up as highly experienced adventure caving, canyoning and abseiling guides, not only here in New Zealand, but it also led us to setting up caves and canyons for an adventure tourism company over in Turkey, as well as many other ventures around the world. So as I leave you at this point, I ask you if you've got someone in your life and you're asking them what do they want to do. Please just question them, don't answer for them, and please offer them their next best step. I got this feeling inside my bones it goes electric wavy when I turn it on Off from my city, off from my home We're flying up no ceiling when we in our zone I got that sunshine in my pocket Got that good soul in my feet I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops Ooh, I can't take my eyes off of it Moving so phenomenally Come on, like the way we rock it So don't stop Hello, I'm Sheila. My tale to tell. First taste awakening was like adolescent love. C'est très romantique, mon chéri. End of summer tomatoes in France. So sweet. Green olive oil just pressed. Sea salt. A fragrant lemon. Just picked. Squeezed, peppered perfection, crusty baguettes still warm to devour the last juices. Under leafy vines, two-hour lunches, rabbit terrines and red wine, garden snails thick with garlic butter, camembert oozing, black ash fromage de chèvre, millefeuille, thousand leaves of crispy pastry coated in velvet custard, Ooh la la, je ne sais quoi, the moulin rouge of custard squares. Panarazon, escargot, rum plump sultanas good to go, dancing in creme anglaise and un espresso, je voudrais. Then another love came calling, 
sipping aniseed a rack on carpeted floors, the long, slow mezza, the table full of plates, olives, pickles, tabbouleh, wheat, lemon, parsley, oil and mint, Arab bread from the oven, yeasty, fresh and warm, gorged with baba ganou and garlic hummus sesame dips, Sanbuzak pastries of spinach and cheese, kibbe fried, stuffed with yoghurt, lamb with honey, apricots, cinnamon and ginger, nut-filled phyllo in rose-flavoured syrup. We waltzed a while, but never forgotten flavours re-emerged on lazy summer tables. Then came a match of minds and hearts, of thalli plates and eating by hand, connecting over cupboards spice-full black cumin, cardamom, cassia bark, chilli, coriander, coconut cream and fennel, ghee and saffron, asphodida and fenugreek, perfecting paratha, chapati and naan, making jars of tamata gasundi tomato oil pickle and samosa pakoras and lassi for the mouth on fire. Sweet chicken birani, skewered lamb, palak paneer, alu gobi, tandoori chicken, fried in an oven, eaten on the banks of Udaipur. Rose toffee, savoured in a train as tears fell, leaving Maharashtra. A slow rice boat, in Kerala. India entered my heart through a recipe book and never left. Tale to Tell is produced by me, Stephanie Fruin, and engineered by Peter Rattray at Plains FM Christchurch. The theme tune was composed by Louise Ayling and performed by Louise Ayling, Peter Royal and Stephanie Fruin. If you'd like to take part in My Tale to Tell, contact mytaletotellnz at gmail.com. No life is ordinary. We all have a tale to tell. Memories of our Show.